Welcome back to her CEO journey. Today is the first episode of a new podcast series, Investing in Employees. We believe businesses can significantly impact the life of their workers well beyond work hours and salaries. In this podcast series, we are featuring businesses that have successfully prioritized their employees first. You're listening to her CEO journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business for good. For the first episode in this series, we are speaking with Lisa Hannum, the founder and CEO of Beehive, a certified B corporation. Lisa founded Beehive because she believed in the culture of people first. And over the last 25 years, that's exactly what Lisa has been building and she hasn't drifted away from her mission. We discussed the investment Beehive has put in place to support their team so they have the tools to stay connected, productive, and healthy. Those tools are, among others, the BeWell program the pay transparency that Beehive implemented in 2021. And the last one is the new Hive, which is a co-working space built by Beehive so team members, fractional and full-time, along with Beehive clients, can come together to collaborate. Now, let's find out Lisa CEO journey. Lisa Hannum, welcome to her CEO journey. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much, Christina. I'm super excited because you've been building your business, Beehive, almost 25 years ago. I want to start this conversation by understanding why did you found Beehive? In about 1998, I shifted from being an employee to being a founder. So I was about a dozen years into my career. And think back to 1998, this might be surprising to some of your listeners, But that was when I became a mom for the first time. Mm. And I was a partner in a firm and I couldn't negotiate a return to work schedule that I felt was going to work for my family. So I resigned. Mm. Um, So the good news about that is that I've always indexed high on every kind of personal inventory, professional inventory. I've always indexed high for entrepreneurship and then also high for risk tolerance. So I am really excited about future and opportunity. Um, I get very frustrated and bored if I feel stuck. And so everything said to me, this is really the right time to stretch myself professionally and personally and think about growing something new. And that new aspect of it really did have to do with the reason I left my my previous role. And that was that agencies, sadly, 25 years ago and still today, professional services firms and advertising agencies, public relations firms, 
really are still um, not as people first Hmm. as we would hope they would be. Hmm. And my feeling was that I knew that I could create the personal life and be the parent and the Hmm. partner that I wanted to be and have a really rewarding, successful career. So we've always been a people first business. That's what has driven the culture. Hmm. And we've remained hyper, hyper focused on our people, our partners, our customers, and our communities, all people first for those last 25 years. So that culture really started there and has just continued to be transformed and optimized as the world has changed. It's interesting how you talk about agency and uh, talk about advertising agency specifically, because my own background is professional services as well, but not in advertising agency. I was working for, you know, all the big four, which is in accounting and audit, right? Mm -hmm. And it is so interesting, the fact that you said it's never been people first. They talk about it, um, but you are absolutely right. Never been people first. What was the thought process when you think about people first? What does it mean? So I really started by testing the waters for myself to say, can I work successfully as an independent in the area of strategic communication? Can I do this and really create this optimized way of working that was going to be really healthy for me and my family and really healthy for my client businesses? And so I started there. And as I began to sort of grow the organization, then I went and had two more children. So I brought in freelancers, um, this my home market of the Twin Cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul in Minnesota has just always been a wonderful freelance fractional independent market. Mm. So I tapped into lots of other folks who supported me while I was able to take more time off with each uh, each child and growing our family. And then as I would come back to work and clients were growing, I would just start working with all of our freelancers. And that's really how we started to grow. So about three years into it, I started to explore and jumped off the diving board into the deep end and hired my first full-time employee with the, the entire premise being that we can hold this culture right? Mm -hmm. That we can work a reasonable number of hours fairly predictively, even though we're in professional services, we can have a really rewarding uh, experience as professionals, as human beings, and we can do great work for our clients. And our clients would trust us to do that work in a way that people weren't really working 25 years ago, which was a lot of flexibility, a lot of use of of remote technology, uh, which again was hard to put together uh, that many years ago, working from home offices and things. Today, we can't even imagine that that would have been challenging, but it was then. And so that was such a successful pilot, I never really looked back. Hmm. And so we began really growing the company and adding FTEs, May or may not be surprising, but the numbers in my industry skew heavily female. Hmm. Um, And many of these um, women were in similar circumstances. They were thinking about having families. They have young families. 
And they too enjoyed their careers. And pragmatically, many of us are in two income families. That's the way we've designed our lives. Hmm. And so we just happen to be very lucky and also love what we do. So how wonderful is that when you can sort of hit that sweet spot? But we never talked about it as balance, Christina, because Hmm. I've never, I would never have been able to find this thing called balance, but I really, really sit comfortably in flow. And it's taken me a long time to understand that if I can let things flow, typically, uh, and most often, I always get to the right place. And so do my employees, so does the community around Beehive, and certainly so do our clients. What do you mean by flow? (laughs) You intrigued me with that. It's a really conscious mindset away from control and structure. And it has to be done in this time frame. It has to be, you know, my way is going to be the shortest route. And if I was expecting something to be done, you know, I need I need to have that work right at that time. So it's this almost a, a real inability to be flexible. And yet life isn't like that. Work isn't like that. Mm -hmm. Business flows and things change constantly. Mm -hmm. So changing my mindset to say, I know my feet are facing down river and I'm in the current and I've got to be flexible to adapt to whatever shifts, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not about relaxing your standards, your commitments, your obligations. It's about changing your mindset to say, if I can open up to how things flow, I may end up in some place even better than I predicted when I was trying to rigidly control how things are going to advance. When you talk about mindset, yes, I get it. But how do you even structure it to Make sure that your employee has the flexibility. Your employee is not working like crazy hours. How do you create this culture of flow? Well, let me start with kind of the first question. When you said, how do you kind of instill that flow? So we are very, we're a purpose-driven company. We're a certified B corporation and we're very values-based. So I want to talk for just a second about values in an organization. So we think about values and we talk to our clients about values as values being the behavior contract between the company and all of the stakeholders or peoples and communities it serves. So let's talk about employees. So our number one on the list of values is a growth mindset. Hmm. So that mindset of we're always going to be changing and adapting and optimizing. And it's all about growth and less about, you know, rigid predictability. And Mm -hmm. so when we shift into that mindset, everything becomes an opportunity. So it's really about mindset and it's our number one value as an organization. So the second question was, how do you manage your people's time? So we are a very well-planned business. Our employees in 2022 so far have averaged 41 hours a week, 41 Hmm. hours. Hmm. So we simply are structured to know that our people need rest. They need to be able to focus on their well-being. That's where curiosity and energy and positivity 
also some of our values come from. And we've all heard so much about the exhaustion that people are feeling. If we don't support people in their personal well-being, they certainly cannot show up as strong, resilient, curious, energized, inspirational consultants to our clients. We have to hold that container for our clients. And it starts with our company really creating the environment and culture for our people to be able to develop their own well-being. So that's why the hours are really clear. And that is a core tenant of our business. It has been since day one. It's very interesting because, you know, growing a business, sometimes people think that they have to put a lot of hours into it. And the fact that everybody within your business is working like 41 hours on average, but at the same time, you said it's planned. I think plans are plans are a compass. They are not GPS, mm. right? And so we've got to think about, you know, keep in mind, our company does a lot of crisis communication. Mm. So crisis is not planned, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to be willing as an organization and as individuals to flow with what is and what develops over time. But we are able to really look at productivity forecasts for our team. Mm-hmm. Our team knows with clarity where their time is planned. And if you've got this directional compass mm-hmm. for, you know, I'm heading in this general direction for this 30-day period, let's say a calendar month, mm-hmm. that's really all our team needs. And then keep in mind that some things, there's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be new kind of obstacles or opportunities that enter into you know, the journey that you're taking. Mm-hmm. But it's about, generally speaking, if some things come in and some things flow out and some things stall. And so it's about really being planful with a lot of flexibility and a lot of real-time monitoring um, of what people are doing and what the priorities are on any given day and empowering your people to really recognize how things are shifting from day to day, week Mm. to week, and to be able to step in and be able to say, oh, here's a shift, raise their hand if they find themselves with time or if they Mm. find themselves needing help on something. Mm. When we're able to be planful and flexible, we find that indeed everything flows. Mm, okay, that's really good. Because, you know, I, I'm just trying to remember, uh, remember my time when I was working in audit, where I have to keep track on what is chargeable, what is non chargeable, you know, to clients, and I'm assuming because you have an agency model, that that is something that you are keeping track as well, right between chargeable and non chargeable. We track time, but what we do not do is bill by the hour. Mm, So I I hope that that makes sense. And I'm going to say that to all of the accounting and law professionals that might be listening to us today Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is that the days of pinpointing Mm -hmm. by increments as small as three or four minutes and billing out by your, you know, a a specific billable hourly number, Mm -hmm. those days are over. Let me start with your clients. That is irritating to our clients. 
Yeah, I know. I agree with you completely. It's just exhausting. (laughs) Completely. And because I hire as, as a business owner, I have all kinds of consultants and advisors, legal, banking, financial management, accounting, et cetera. I don't want to know that you're billing me X, Y, Z for every six minutes. It's irrelevant to me. Mm -hmm. You can tell me that this is the scope of the project. I believe we're going to be between X and Y for a budget, and we'll be able to complete this successfully in this timeframe. I'm good. I can budget for that. If the scope of work changes, you're going to need to tell me if it's going to be higher than any kind of range you provided, because maybe we need to shift the scope. Maybe as a business owner, I need to adjust my expectations. Mm. Maybe there's something we can do in-house mm. that would you know, advance part of the accounting process, part of the legal need, et cetera. And I want to be in it with my professional consultants, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we that's the model that we have. So that mm-hmm. while we do project people's time, when it comes to setting project budgets, et cetera, that's really experience-based. We know what the market will bear and generally where our profit margin needs to sit because we have a really, really good operating budget, right? Mm-hmm. We're very financially clear and well-planned. Mm-hmm. And so we know how to deploy people. We know what our, you know, what our cost is going to be. We know where our margin sits. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to burden either our employees nor our clients with saying, well, you know, I think that might take two hours longer. Should I write you a change order? <laughs> Who wants to do that? And by the way, it's going to take an hour to write the change order. Yeah, exactly. I agree. So because we're well-planned, because we have a lot of experience in terms of, you know, estimating how much time things will take, flowing projects, really advancing work on timelines, we're really able to ensure that about, I'd say maybe 1% of all fees are actually planfully invested in client businesses. And we share those investments with them proactively, Mm. but we don't ever write down our employees' time. Yeah. When you don't write down time, your employees can work a very reasonable number of hours and it's all billable. Yeah. Right. The project work is all billable. But when you're writing down 25, 35% of an employee's time that's tracked to a client, that is a losing proposition for everyone. And then you create this amazing culture for your employees. What were the steps that you had taken to create the culture you envision? Well, culture is a journey in which I think I've already over-metaphored the whole compass map journey uh, (laughs) uh, sort of (laughs) Uh, messaging, but it really is a journey. And I think that we started with the core of the company being that we would really make this a people-centered business. Mm -hmm. That is, that's our product. That's true for any professional services firm. And I'd say that it's true really for any business today. Mm. So it doesn't matter if you're selling services or you're selling product or you're selling experience, hospitality, whatever it might be, It is really all about engagement and the experience that you're creating. When we think about the importance of 
a culture that is ready to work with clients and prospects and our partners and you know other communities that are part of our business and part of the work we do for clients. It's absolutely essential that our people just are on the most solid foundation possible. We live by purpose, values, and promises. We have a client promise and a people promise. Mm. What we promise to our employees is that they will have a positive, conscious, inclusive culture where our values are lived and they are inspired to grow and do their best work. Over time, we've really developed kind of these six components um, that we are constantly activating and optimizing. These are not a mystery. You can get a feel for best places to work components. We know what brings people to our organizations and critically what keeps them here and also keeps them growing. We have a Be Better program that focuses on physical, mental, and emotional well-being and support for every employee, individually, collectively, in small groups, in the buddy system. We do all kinds of things that support our team, and that's a continuous cycle. Hmm. Growth and development. So how will I grow through my client work? So how will I set goals and really expand and become the kind of consultant that I really desire to be? How will I be challenged? Um, And how will I be able to really expand in the work that I'm doing with my clients? Professional skills is a crucial area. And so are personal skills. So we really work with our team on developing listening skills. We work on empathy skills, all these things that are crucial to being a good colleague and a good consultant not to mention being a good human being. Mm-hmm. You mentioned flexibility, Christina. Mm-hmm. We are we have been trying to figure out how do we best express the level of flexibility that we offer to our team. And we are a work from anywhere company. We have just taken that to the 10 power through the pandemic. We don't believe there is any going back. So that's some sort of false sense of uh, control. I mm-hmm. think that a lot of leaders are searching for. Mm-hmm. So we offer flexible hours, work from anywhere. Every aspect of flexibility is available to our employees. And we could talk a little bit about the new space that we've mm-hmm. just uh, in the last two months that is designed to be that workplace, like to say of the future, but it's the workplace of now. So that it is frictionless and seamless. Hmm. to be in any location on the planet and feel like you're right where you need to be working with our team or with our clients. So it really does take a lot of focus and a shift in mindset to enable that to happen. But that's just crucial. And that is the number one most highly rated aspect of working at Beehive and with Beehive. Our clients want to be able to bring our practices into their own workplaces. Our clients are now bringing their whole teams into our new office space because it's energizing and it's magnetizing and it's fun to be there. There's a reason to come there. So that's our job to create a physical expression of our brand and our business that really helps our company live its values. 
Comp and benefits are crucial, of course, but we all know as leaders, that's not what gets people to come and it's not what gets them to stay, Mm -hmm. regardless of what we'd like to think. So we introduce full salary transparency, both Mm -hmm. candidates and to our team last year, and it's going beautifully. So we are incredibly transparent company. Mm -hmm. And then appreciation and respect. We do a lot to uh, create peer-to-peer appreciation and respect opportunities to do recognition for our team and our clients. That's just crucial to being a positive, energized, engaged, and connected culture. And finally, we are a certified B Corporation. We have been on a journey of understanding that businesses must be a force for good for about a decade. We've been certified for four years, but we were certified on our first try, which is uncommon for for B Corps because it's a really high bar. It's high and it's deep, as people say. So we were certified. And after the murder of George Floyd, which happened right here in our home headquarters city, we really, really became clear about our social impact commitment as an organization. So when you visit Beehive's website, you will see a very clearly articulated impact statement. We are clear about what we stand for and who we stand up for. And it is simply non-negotiable for our employees. This won't be a culture for everyone, but to be fully aligned to our B Corp promises, our purpose and our values, this is core to who we are as a company. So Lisa, you have built many building blocks in order for you to create the culture that you envisioned 25 years ago, right? If you look back, what were the challenges that you experienced in getting there? I think there's really the biggest challenge in building culture is understanding, first of all, that it is not about getting there. Hmm. It is about the shift from culture is a combination of these things that we do to culture is who we are. Hmm. And that comes by doing a lot of things. But over time, it's simply about holding the processes, the practices that we've all agreed to and doing it with consistency and an optimization and growth mindset, because nothing stays the same. Cultures are, we have to think about them as being human in and of themselves. They're living, they're breathing, they're dynamic, and we have to be constantly optimizing. I'll give you a great example. This is one, Christina, that um, I'm ashamed to say that our business overlooked this. We've been re-examining all kinds of our people Um, benefits and policies. And given some of the recent legislation and things that have been going on, we went back and really, really needed to understand all of our healthcare policies related to reproductive rights, right? Mm -hmm. So reproductive coverage. Mm -hmm. We realized that we did not have a policy for pregnancy loss, Mm -hmm. any kind of pregnancy loss. We did not offer paid leave for pregnancy loss. That was such a miss on our behalf. That caused us to really scrub through 
every single policy and every single process. And we're now recasting all of our benefits to ensure that we are in fact human-centered for today's culture and what's emerging, that we are equitable, that health equity is at the center, not just what are best practices for business today? Are we offering benefits that put health equity and access at the center? So you've got to be willing to be open to that level of optimization and learning and to make really clear decisions whether a pregnancy loss policy and a pregnancy loss you know, coverage policy is right for your individual business will be your decision. It'll be the decision of your leadership team and your board, but it is your obligation as a CEO or as a member of the C-suite to ask the question, to see what's shifting. And if you have equity built into your values, you better be looking very closely at all the aspects of equity and be prepared to make very conscious decisions and be able to explain those decisions to the communities that you rely on to drive your business every day. Hmm. Now, I also understand that Beehive is currently evaluating how you can improve the recruiting and retaining more BIPOC, LGBTQ, and other employees. That is from under underserved population, right? So I'm curious about the progress that you have taken in that area. So even though we're a certified B Corp and we meet all the rigorous standards that are built into B Corp certification mm-hmm. uh, for diversity, equity, inclusion, we've been a best in the world for workers from B Corp. We are still a company of predominantly white women. That is what you will see on our website. So the first thing we did was hire an outside consultant to really come in and assess everything. Hmm. That included our hiring practices going all the way back to pipeline filling starting as early as high school. Hmm. So we're adjusting everything that we're doing to make sure that we're participating from a very early age for, you know, potential talent to come into our field to give talent opportunities at the high school level, opportunities certainly at the college level, postgraduate, we're members of the Brand Lab, which hires um, and places BIPOC employees, you know, and often from, I would say, a very intersectional point of view. Um, So what we posted on our website right now, which uh, you may have seen, which may have led to your question, Mm -hmm. that we are committed to doing better. And what you see on our page with our team also is not reflective of the diversity that we have on our team. Hmm. There's visual diversity, but we're looking at diversity visually. We're looking at at neurodivergent diversity. We're hmm. looking at um, we're looking at LGBTQ communities. We're looking at across the board to make sure that we are hiring very, very strategically, very consciously. And that starts with a whole different approach to filling our pipeline and nurturing mm. candidates through each of those stages. So it's causing us to sort of turn everything upside down and open it up to make mm. sure that we have got at least three candidates that represent diversity as we as it is defined, defined by the ADA, as it is defined 
which is quite inclusive in our social impact statement, we must be sure that we have at least three diverse candidates for every position hmm. before we even begin to move to a shortlist. Hmm. That's a big shift. It is. It is mm-hmm. a big shift. As you were talking about creating the culture that you envision, you talk about the Be Better program. You talk about the new office space, and then also you have the full transparency starting in 2021. What is pay transparency exactly that you implement in your business? We believe that we have best practice at the center of it, mm-hmm. but there are other. Ways, you know, there are other aspects of pay transparency. So I want to be really clear about that. So we work with our national, a national professional association of firms like ours that -hmm. are of all sizes. They um, they develop benchmarking surveys, salary surveys every single year. So and there's you know many many different tables and many different you know components to that. But we benchmark salaries based on a national, regional, and then our our predominant headquarters market, which is where the majority of our of our employees uh, generally have a mailing address. So that's the it's their taxable home, is what I I will say. So the place you have to start is with benchmarking that is third party, independent, highly credible, highly reliable, and is implemented over time. So we look at benchmarking every single year. We'll get a whole new set of benchmarking this month, and then it starts to play into how we set our benchmarking and bands. So from there, we set salary bands. So entry level, developing and career for every single um, position on our team, whether it's a staffed position or not. And then we share those bands with our internal team. So if you are starting at a certain position, you know how long a typical promotion takes. You know exactly what the salary range is inside that position. And you may move at your own pace based on, you know, whether or not you're a a full-time employee, you might be an 80% employee. Um, If you are moving, if you desire to move more quickly, nothing puts you in a box for a pre-described period of time, but we're able to lay out and help to manage and set expectations about how you'll grow and move at Beehive. Everyone sees those salary bounds in Hmm. every position, including fractional positions, include very clear salary ranges and salary information. In addition to an overarching, I would say just a kind of a rounded value of our benefits. So that people can begin to get a feel for the total comp and benefits package. And that's transparent. It is proactively in every uh, position that we post for. So that is salary transparency. How can salary transparency help to create a better culture in a business? First of all, it creates equity. So we are very clear with our team and when we hire people mm-hmm. that if this is your role in the company, so don't think about title, don't mm-hmm. think about your number of years of experience. Mm-hmm. If this is your role, mm-hmm. this is the pay band. Mm-hmm. We stay in that pay band. Mm-hmm. And so it creates equity and transparency across our positions and our roles. So people know where they sit and where they're headed. 
And they have to know with confidence that we implement and we run our business based on the pay bands, which we do. Mm. So, and keep in mind, employers are foolish if they think that their employees do not talk about salaries. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Uh Among themselves, they talk about salaries, certainly with their friends and family, their colleagues, their, you know, they talk about their salary openly. They are transparent. So if you are not honest and forthright and clear, you will be found. So word to the wise and a fair warning. So it creates equities. So everybody within the company knows what everybody else or this, the range of everybody else getting paid. That's correct. Hmm. If based on the role, you will know what the salary range is on that role. Now, within in that role, Christina, you have people with varying levels of experience. Yep. And people advance both in the role and they advance in their base salary based on performance. So that's meritocracy. Hmm. And that that is, but still within the band. And that's, it is clear. It is transparent. It is fair. Hmm. And you mentioned fractional position. I thought all the people that you posted on your website, they are like full-time employee. No, that's correct. They're all on our website. They're all FTEs. And we have about 14, so maybe more on any given day, fractionals that work with us as well. So those people that work in the gig economy, they're independents. um, They go very deep in certain subject matter areas. And we have such a broad range of services that our clients need us to have access to those people that are current and can go deep into certain technology areas, creative spaces. Uh, They may have a subject matter expertise, a data analysis expertise. They may be really deep in an aspect of SEO that we simply don't do every day. So we're not going to staff for that full time. Mm -hmm. So we have fractional employees that come in and out of our business. And in fact, our workspace is built for them to be able to come and work from Mm. the new hive anytime they'd like, whether they're working on our business or not. Oh, really? Absolutely. We had our first fractional in yesterday. And so, mm -hmm. and so, you know, their, their response is, God, you, you're my team. And, you know, I might, they might be working with us, you know, just on and off, depending on the project, the client, sometimes it's a longer term assignment. Sometimes it's a really just surgical need that they'll come in on, but they're, you know, they don't need to then sit in a home office. They don't need to rent um, a co-working space Mm -hmm. and they don't rent technology. If they need to have a meeting, our space is open to them to come in and enjoy what we've created there. And that includes, you know, free flowing caffeine, all kinds of water from a tap because we're working our way towards zero waste. And we also do have a few other things on tap that seem to be well-received by <laughs> our team. No pressure. It's all personal choice. But really That's nice. We've really created an environment that people, you know, our job was to create an environment that would magnetize people to come, Christina. Oh, I, I, that is awesome. Actually. I I mean, you know, uh, I would love to become your fractional employee. (laughs) 
Well, you, I have a full-time CFO, but you can come and visit and work in our space anytime. We would now call you part of the Friends and Faction. Friends and oh, Faction. that's sweet. Okay, so you're talking that you have a full-time CFO, but at some point, I believe you told me she started as a fractional CFO. Is that right? That's correct. So um, my uh, partner in this business um, has been with me for about 24 of my 25 years. Mm. She uh, took me from a white repurposed three ring binder for my billing and financials to QuickBooks to now a full tech stack for finance. Mm. So the reason that I found a partner, a financial partner very early was that my expertise is in strategic communication, marketing, public relations. My passion is working with businesses to help them use the power of communication to create value for their business. I am not nearly as interested in the financials of the business. Now, when I say that, of course, I have full frontal view and responsibility for our balance sheet, our profit and loss, for everything that we're doing financially. But getting down into the financial strategy of the business is not my business. Mm -hmm. That is not where I'm going to be able to really play to my strengths. So I brought a partner in. Her name is Becky McNamara. And she has worked with me this entire time. And as we really began to grow and start to think about the next level of the business, she joined our business full time six years ago. So she and I are, are building things financially and strategically, along with three other incredibly talented members of our leadership team who've also been with me for 17 years, all three. We have an SVP of culture and talent. Mm. No surprise, given that that is core and central mm. to who we are as an organization. And if we have a chief strategy officer, if strategy is in your name, better have some folks who are real, real good at it. So chief strategy officer who also represents a client portfolio. Mm. And then we've got our EVP of client service, which you would expect. Mm. So those are the key positions that have helped to grow this business and hold this business with consistency and an eye on optimization, continuous optimization. We run the entrepreneurial operating system over the top of our business. Mm. So B Corp is really our purpose and living our brief mm -hmm. promise is our North Star. Mm. And the underpinning to that is EOS mm -hmm. and then running our client promise and our people promise. It's fundamentally quite a simple business if you can get focused on what matters most mm. because you can't do it all. Mm. I'll say one of the biggest advantages has been that we are extremely well-planned financially, Christina. So if we ever find ourselves in need to do some kind of a short-term loan, to you know, mm. activate a line of credit, to do things like that financially. We have such a good relationship with our bank yeah. because I'm CFO who makes sure we do. Yeah. So we were able to very quickly move on PPP loans here in the United States during the pandemic, 
on ERC credits in the United States because I have a CFO who is minding that part of the business and has developed very trusted, planful relationships, both with our accounting firm and with our bank. Not every founder think like you do, Lisa. One year after you started your business, you started thinking, okay, I need a financial partner. Mm-hmm. So uh, what would be your advice or founder who is like, you know, thinking about investing in a CFO in a fractional or full-time basis? When is the right time? Like the most important thing to do is to make sure when you're looking at really the structure of your business, mm-hmm. what seat do you sit in? So for founders who come out of finance, maybe they may not need a CFO mm-hmm. to really be, maybe they need a controller or maybe they need some bookkeeping or, mm-hmm. you know, may they, it's going to depend on what seats are well-occupied, what stage of your business you're in and what seats are empty. So business strategy, uh, marketing, sales, you know, professional services, those are my strengths. I know how to market our business. I know how to sell our business. I need, I know how to deliver client service and I know how to bill and get paid. That's a pretty good skill set. Yeah. Right? Yes. When it comes to the financial planning and optimization of the business, that seat was not well occupied. So that's really the first place I needed to go. Then it became a capacity issue. So I knew then that delivering the services and and really developing relationships and working with clients, that's a frontline skill for people that work in professional services firms. And so I did the opposite of what people recommended. People at that time recommended to me, you need to get the cheapest, youngest people you can and work them into the ground. So I got the most experienced people I could find and promised them a really nice balance between work, life, and reward, financial, professional, personal. Um, I wanted them to be happy and satisfied. Mm. So I did the opposite. And those Mm. are the people who are still with me today. Mm. 10 years of experience Mm. working for very large, very well-known agencies. And at that time, they moved to my basement before (laughs) we moved to an office. And, you know, I still recall that, you know, they're, they're, leaders at other organizations saying, what are you doing moving to somebody's basement? And it was a belief that there could be a different way. And here we are 25 years later. And those first people that I started working with are still the leadership team today. That is so amazing. Like, I mean, you are able to basically found all the key partners that you needed to find, uh, you know, to build your business. And then what's really amazing about this whole conversation is that you never steer away from your core mission or and vision from the very beginning, people first. And then you continue to invest in that. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the audience that is listening to this episode, they're probably thinking, yeah, I want that too. But you know, how could I start doing that? Because I'm still small. Right. So what would you recommend? I'd start with your business goals, Christina. And, and you know, growth is obviously going to be a goal. How are you going to get to growth? It all, you know, it all starts from your goals. 
we actually have had in place for a very long time, very clear scorecard metrics. Now we're a small business too, but the scorecard metrics um, are what are really, really crucial. And when people say, you know, how can a small business afford to do this? I say with results like this, how can we afford not to do it? And so we look at things like how successful are we in employee recruitment? So we don't use outside recruiters. That's a very big expense for a lot of small businesses. We've cultivated somebody who's excellent at recruitment for our brand and our business. And so that was just a decision that we made. So our recruitment in terms of being able to attract a top one or two one or two candidate is 100%. Our retention leading into the pandemic and all the way through the pandemic and post is a hundred percent. Our productivity is strong and consistent, minimal sick time. We are really trying to get people to be able to take time off for leisure and travel and recharging. So we're looking for, of all PTO, first of all, our people taking their PTO, we wanna see maximization of PTO time and minimization of sick time. So those are indications to us that it's working, right? That our all the work we're doing in culture are paying off in these measures that every business should be watching regardless of their size. We measure employee satisfaction quarterly and we very closely monitor both an NPS score, mm-hmm. which a lot of your a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with, mm-hmm. and net promoter score. And that tends to be customer, in our case, client-driven, our NPS score that's awarded by our clients annually is about 20% higher than industry average in the United States. Wow. So that's everything is rolling out and working for clients. And crucially, our ENPS score, our employee net promoter score is world-class. So Mm -hmm. we're measuring that, constantly measuring and asking and listening. I don't know all the answers, Christina. My job is to listen and learn and facilitate and to bring my team with me, bring our clients with us in a world right now that's very, very challenging to navigate. Hmm. So that's really my role is to be consistent, to really keep my eyes on that North Star and to constantly be measuring. A lot of the measures that I just shared with you can be done by companies at any size. Hmm. For smaller businesses, it's almost hand math, right? Mm. You can calculate pretty easily what percentage of PTO or what percentage of time is going to sick time. I mean, those things are not hard. It's about being mindful and committed to tracking metrics Mm. that day over day, year over year are what underpin satisfaction and growth, both for your people, your clients, and your business. Did you think about all of this metric before you implement the EOS system? I have heard from so many people how wonderful the system helped to grow a business and scale. We run um, really three scorecards pretty consistently. So one is the culture scorecard that I just talked to you mm-hmm. a bit. Mm-hmm. We were we were in a pretty strong position there because culture is so foundational to our business mm-hmm. and our talent is our, our product primarily day day in and day out. So we're pretty solid there. We've really fine-tuned our company scorecard and we've really fine-tuned 
our sales and marketing scorecard, mm. that everything we're doing um, in terms of, you know, digital automated one-on-one marketing and sales activity, it's being much more tightly measured mm. and we're making really clear decisions and adjustments based on performance. Mm. So we've gotten much tighter on kind of that center part of the business, which is sales and marketing. But in terms of our financials, again, we share our scorecards, both financial and our um, sales and marketing scorecard every single week, like crop yep. clock with our team. Yep. Everyone knows, and everyone has a number. Everyone knows what they're driving to for productivity at any given time. And the productivity is simply based on the budgets that our clients have approved and the work that needs to be done in a certain time frame. Mm. Lisa, this has been a true pleasure talking to you. So where can people find you and Beehive? They can find us online at www, depending on how your browser is set up, <laughs> beehivepr.biz is. That's really the best jumping off point. And you'll find us on you know, every probably social channel that you might engage in as well under the same handle. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Christina, it was my pleasure. Thank you. And that's bring us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. When you are ready to grow to the next level and seeking a finance team and a fractional CFO who are all in on your mission, and can help you maximize profit to make a bigger social impact, connect with us at theprofitreimagine.com forward slash let's chat.